You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. You know, we opened up this series looking at a situation where Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. And they ask him, what is the most important law? What's the most important command? And Jesus says, the most important law is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with every part of who you are. Last week we talked about another conversations that he had with the Pharisees. And he told them, he says, you don't even realize where you're at. You're trying to take a splinter out of someone else's eye when you have a beam in your own eye. And we talked about the fact that if we're going to get to where it is that God is calling us to, if we're going to get to the place where we love God with all that we are, we love him with every piece of us, he's redeemed every piece of us, we're going to have to face where we're at. We're going to have to be honest with ourselves about who we are and what problems we have and what sins we are guilty of. And today I want us to see how that all happens when we have time for God to do that work. Last week when we talked about knowing where we are, I mentioned to you, you can look into your past because nothing has shaped you more than your past and nothing's formed you more than your family. And I kind of want to give you some personal application that will help us lead into the, the message this morning. I told you a couple of weeks ago that I got in a lot of trouble when I was in middle school or junior high, and kind of the background on that is that when I was 12 years old, my father worked for Delta Airlines for over 25 years before he retired. When I was 12, he was working for Delta Airlines in Nashville, Tennessee, and Delta did a major reorganization. Many people were laid off, other people were transferred, and my father submitted a list of places that he would be willing to move to be transferred, and on the top of that list was Norfolk, Virginia, and he chose that one as the top city because that's where my mom's family all lived, and That was the city that he was given, that he was transferred to. So we moved from Nashville to Norfolk, the Virginia Beach area, and we started attending church where my grandfather had been pastor for over 30 years. And within the first year that we were there, he retired, and a new young pastor took over for him. We were going to church there, and I also attended the large Christian school. And it was there at that Christian school that I kept getting into all of this trouble. I was rebellious. I would argue with my teachers and... God got a hold of my heart when I was in the eighth grade, and he changed me. And so I went from being this rebellious, angry teenager to someone who wanted to, to serve God. And here at this church that we attended, there were all these opportunities to serve, and one of them was in the bus ministry. The bus ministry was this large collection of buses. We had 10 buses at that time. They would send out to the surrounding neighborhoods and pick up children and families that wanted to attend the church services. And with those 10 buses, we would pick up nearly 400 people to bring in the church. So as an eighth grader headed into ninth grade, I began to volunteer on one of these buses and I was a runner. That meant that I would get off the bus when it pulled up at a stop and I would go up and knock on the door and say, hey, the bus is here. You guys come to church with us today and then escort them back. If they weren't going that day, run back to the bus. I remember my captain said, there's a reason that you're called a runner. You have to run to the door and run back. We've got to make it all through all these houses and get back to the church. So for that to happen, I had to be at church more than an hour early do that, then we would attend Sunday school and then attend worship service. And if you think that I go long sometimes, church there would often last an hour and 45 minutes. And then after that, we'd have to take all of those children home. And then after we got them home, we had to clean the bus off. We'd go home. My parents would have lunch there sitting on the counter. They had already eaten. 
And then I would return to church that evening for Sunday evening service. But in addition to Sunday evening service, there was a class before Sunday evening service called Christian Boot Camp. I would attend the class at 5 o'clock and then go to worship service at 6 o'clock. And so Sunday was pretty much just from the time that you woke up to the time that you went to bed. You were at church or you were eating or you were catching a nap. I had to be at church earlier on Sundays than I was at school on Monday. And so through this time, I was incredibly busy. I was serving, but I wasn't growing. You see, I, I said, God, I want you to change my heart. I give my life to you. And I immediately jumped into serving him and being active in all of these ways. But I wasn't spending a lot of time with God. I was giving a lot of time for God, but I wasn't spending much time with God. And what I want us to be clear on this morning is that we are capable of serving a lot, but growing very little. We're capable of a lot of activity and a lot of action without any time with God where we're growing and He's making a difference in our lives. We're capable of serving without growing. In the passage that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus has another run-in with those Pharisees, and it's over the Sabbath The religious elite become frustrated with Jesus and the way that he practices the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was the day of the week that the Jews set apart as holy. It was a day that they did no work. It was a day that they were to to worship God and nothing else was to happen. They were to prepare the meals the day before so there'd be no meal preparation on that day. If they needed a candle or a lamp to be lit, they'd have to light it the day before. It couldn't be done on the Sabbath. And so that's the culture that Jesus is in, and the Pharisees take issue with him. In Mark chapter 2, this this tension builds because Jesus and the disciples are making their way through a field of grain, and as they go, the disciples are hungry, so they're picking parts of the grain. And the disciples say, hey, why why are your disciples doing this? Elsewhere here in this chapter, they They point out to the fact, they say, your disciples are hungry, but they never fast, Jesus. John the Baptist's disciples fasted often, but your disciples, they rarely fast. Do they fast? By the way, that's a favorite tactic of the Pharisees is comparison. These are all the things that we're doing. What are you doing? These are all the rules that we're keeping. What are you keeping? You see, that's what they had their spiritual identity in. They were doing all of this stuff, keeping all of these commands. So they're Comparing Jesus' disciples with John the Baptist's disciples. Verse 27, Jesus responds to them about the fact that the disciples are picking grain. He says to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. He said, We weren't created, you weren't created to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for your benefit. And then there's this this moment where all this comes to a head in chapter 3. Let's keep reading verse 1. And he entered into the synagogue, again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. Now I want you to think about the mindset of the kind of person that says, hey, look, there's a guy here who's hurt. And Jesus is here, and it's the Sabbath. Let's see if he helps them, so then we have a reason to accuse him. They were kind of hoping that Jesus was going to help this guy, not so he would be helped, but so that they could have something to argue with Jesus about. 
Verse 3, And he said unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they held their peace. They didn't answer that. When they looked round about them with anger, being grieved, here's Jesus experiencing those emotions again without sin. The hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. They start to plot how they're going to kill Jesus because he is working on the Sabbath by healing a man whose arm is crippled. And I want you to see Jesus' response to this. They're plotting to kill him, so what does Jesus do in verse 7? But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. They say, we're going to kill this guy because he's doing this work on Sunday. And Jesus says to the disciples, guys, let's go to the beach. Let's go to the ocean. Let's go to the sea. Mark 2, when the disciples are plucking the grain as they walk through the field, they're breaking uh, uh, not a law that was written in Leviticus, but they're breaking a law that the Jews had added on top of the law. You see, they had all of these little scenarios where they thought, is this breaking the law? Maybe we should add to the law to, to make it really clear. They kept adding to the law and adding to the law and adding to the law. They got to the place where they got to the point where they said, if you drag a chair across the ground... That's tilling the ground. So that's not allowed on the Sabbath. They got to the place where they said, if you climb a tree on the Sabbath, you could break branches or knock leaves out of it. And that's a lot like pruning a tree on the Sabbath. So that's not allowed on the Sabbath. There are people who still hold to these laws today and they they go to extreme lengths. If they have a light in their house that they want to be on on the Sabbath, when they recognize the Sabbath, they turn that light on on Friday. So Saturday it's on. In the refrigerator that Nicole and I bought this past December, there is a Sabbath setting that you can set that on Sundays or Saturdays, whichever day you recognize as the Sabbath, when you open the refrigerator, the light doesn't come on. Because to turn on a light is like lighting a lamp or a candle. And so they had all of these laws and rules that they had added to God's truth, added to his law. Jesus is saying, you're going to these extreme lengths to keep the Sabbath, but you weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. I want you to see the irony here. God set aside a day for us to have rest and for us to worship, but they had turned it into a day of great difficulty and work. They had made all of these laws and commands that had to be kept. You see the irony? God says, I want you to have this time that you can spend with me. I want you to have this time that you can rest. And they had developed all of these rules and regulations so that it didn't become a day of rest. It became a day of making sure you didn't break any commands. They made the mistake that we often make. We often confuse busyness with spirituality. We think that if we do a lot, if we're serving a lot, if we're doing all of these things, then we're spiritual. In a couple places we see that Jesus is is moved in the Gospels because he looks at the people and they are weary like a, a shepherd, 
like a sheep without shepherd, without someone to lead them and guide them. And that makes sense because they're trying to live up to all of these standards, which they can't, and they're tired and they're weary. And what did David tell us in Psalm 23 that the Lord is like? He's like a good shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures. He makes us lie down in green pastures. Have you ever tried to make your children take a nap? Right? He makes us lie down in green pastures. I believe this in the Sabbath, we have, we have a picture of the rest that God wishes to bring to our hearts and souls. That's what God wants for us. Rest. He wants to make us lie down in green pastures so that we have time to spend with him. Flip over to Genesis 2 with me. We're just going to look at three verses in Genesis 2. Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3 say this. Thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he'd made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. God rested on the seventh day. And and get this, God didn't rest because he was worn out. God doesn't get tired. He never sleeps, he never slumbers, he never grows weary. So why did he rest on the seventh day? He rested on the seventh day to take time to delight in what he had made, what he had accomplished. And when God calls us to rest, it's not this, you have to do it. It's this, you get to. You get to have this time to delight in me. Sometimes we think of rest as, I got to. I got to get to bed because I got an early morning tomorrow. Right? I got to get some rest or I'm going to get sick. I got to take a break just so I can come back sharp in the morning. We think of rest as this inconvenience to all the stuff that we need to do. And that's not what God intended it to be at all. He wanted it to be something wonderful. He wanted it to be something good that we could take this time in delight. This week, Nicole and I are going to be at the Nationals, and Haven is going with us, but we're leaving Lincoln here with Nicole's parents who are are here with us this morning. Last week, we were talking to Lincoln about the fact that Grandma and Grandpa are going to be watching you, and Lincoln has stopped taking naps recently. So we explained to him, next week when Grandma and Grandpa watch you, you probably need to take a nap. And he said, but I'm a big boy. And I said, well, Lincoln, Grandma and Grandpa are probably going to want to take a nap, so you need to lay down and take a nap too. But they're not kids. In his mind, he couldn't understand, why, why are Grandma and Grandpa going to want to lay down and take a nap? And we, when we were children, we, we, we don't want that, but we would, love, we would love if somebody came into our life and said, hey, listen, 1 o'clock, you're going to lay down and you're going to take a nap. And I don't want to hear any arguing, right? Like I mentioned earlier, all of us, our parents, that we fought with our kids to take a nap. In that moment, it's this, this perfect irony because we're trying to force them to sleep. And we would love to take a nap, but we don't have time to because we have kids we have to take care of. If we could have them lay down and take a nap so they're not a bear later, that would be awesome, but also so we can get these other things done that we need to do. 
We, we recognize the, the delight that rest can be. And that's what God wanted it to be for His people. He wanted it to be a gift. And so God establishes this in the very beginning. But then He makes it a law when God frees the people from Egypt. A lot of stuff happens in Genesis If you've never read through the book of Genesis, I encourage you to do it. Get to Exodus, and God frees His people from slavery in Egypt. And He does this by sending Moses to talk to Pharaoh. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says, God says, let my people go. And how does Pharaoh respond? No. And then he says, they're my people, they're my slaves, and he increases their workload. He makes them work more and more. Now, God's people are slaves. They're working seven days a week. They're forced to make their own bricks for these buildings that they're building. He has made their work more difficult to emphasize, you belong to me. You are my slaves. You will do what I say. I'm not letting you go. I'm going to make you do more. God works. There are all of these plagues. Finally, Pharaoh lets the people go. They leave Pharaoh decides to chase them. God rescues the people from Pharaoh. And then God brings them to a mountain. And he says, wait here, I need to talk with Moses. And then Moses disappears into the mountain for 40 days. For 40 days. Now, what happens while Moses is in the mountain is the people get restless. And you can understand why they've gone from working seven days a week, hard labor, to now they're just sitting at a mountain for 40 days. And I'm sure the first week was like, this is awesome. And then the second week, they're like, what do you guys want to do? And the third week, they're like, I am bored. And God is forcing them to rest. And meanwhile, up in the mountain, God is talking to Moses and he gives him the Ten Commandments. And one of them is, you will honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You will do no work. Pharaoh says, you're mine, you will work. God says, you're mine, rest. Pharaoh says, you belong to me. You are my slaves. You will do the work that I tell you to. You're going to work even harder. God says, you are mine. Come and sit at the mountain for 40 days and do nothing. Just wait on me. And every week, take a day off when you will do no work. You see, what God is telling them is, that was your identity as slaves. Your new identity is that you are mine and I give you rest. The world put all of this on you. Sin and slavery put all of this on you. But I give you rest. When Jesus saw all those that were weary and heavy laden, He said to them, Come unto Me and I will give you rest, for My burden and yoke is light. You see, when the world shapes our identity, we can never do enough. But when God shapes our identity, we are given rest and peace. When we are looking for identity in this world, we can never get thin enough. We can never accomplish enough. We can never have enough. We can never make enough. We can work, 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 and it is never enough. And our goal is always more, 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 and we always feel like we have less, less, less. But when we are God's people, He says, rest. You are mine. Wait on me. Take a day. Rest. So when the Pharisees take counsel on how to destroy Jesus, they get together to figure out how they're going to kill Jesus. 
It only makes sense for Jesus to say, hey guys, let's go to the sea. Let's walk by the, the shore. You would say, to the sea, Jesus, your enemies are, are trying to destroy you. They're trying to kill you. This is no time for rest. And Jesus says, let's go walk by the beach. And throughout the Gospel of Mark, and by the way, the Gospel of Mark is the most action-packed book of record of Jesus. It's almost like Mark is just accelerating, accelerating, trying to get to the crucifixion and the resurrection as fast as he can. But even in the Gospel of Mark, what we see constantly, all these people are trying to destroy Jesus and are trying to overturn Jesus. Jesus takes a break. Mark chapter 1 and verse 12, we're told that Jesus goes out and he spends 40 days in the desert. Afterwards, Mark 1 and verse 16, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee when he starts to call disciples to follow him. Mark 1.35 tells us that Jesus woke up well before the beginning of the day and went out into a solitary place to pray. Verse 37 says the disciples were searching for him, could not find him, and when they had found him, they said, we've been searching for you. Jesus says, I'm out here praying. Mark 2, he is by the seaside again. Mark 2.23, when they have a problem with the disciples picking grain, they're walking through the fields. Mark 3, after he's been at the seashore, he goes up into the mountains. I know that some of you prefer the mountains to the beach. Jesus loved them both. Matthew 14 tells us that when Jesus hears that John the Baptist has been killed, that he withdraws to a solitary place. Mark 6 Jesus says to the disciples after they've been doing ministry, let's come apart and rest a while. Mark 7, he arose from thence and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. He goes into this house and he says, don't tell anybody I'm here. I need some time to myself. Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John only up into a mountain. And there he's transfigured before them. He meets with God. Mark 14, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives the night before he is going to be tried. And Luke adds that this was his custom. This is what he regularly did. Mark 14 says that once they get to the Mount of Olives, that Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and tells the disciples, stay here while I go a little further and pray. Jesus had the greatest task in the world. Jesus had people searching for him to kill him. And he still made time to spend with God. Jesus was God's very own son. Jesus said, when I speak, the Father speaks. When the Father speaks, I speak. We are one. And yet, he needed to get apart a while for times of prayer. Jesus had the most important job in the world. He had all of these people after him. He knew God better than anyone else, and yet he still made time to get alone and spend with God. And if Jesus did, if Jesus could, then we can and we should. Now, I know what you're thinking Passionate, it's just not a good time for me right now. It's just really crazy. We've got all these things going. Once, once we get through this week, once we get through this month, once we get through summer, these are the things that we constantly say. We constantly say, once I get through this season, then I will slow down and I will spend time with God. There's a reason that he gave the law. Once a week, you will do nothing. Not when things slow down for you. I'd like to spend some time together. 
You see, we constantly say, well, when, when everything kind of slows down, when we finish this project, when we get through this phase, when we are done with this thing, when work starts to slow down, when they finally hire some more people and I don't have to work as many hours, then, then, then. There have been plenty of opportunities for someone to look at Jesus and say, now's not really a good time for us to step away. Now's not really a good time for us to go to a solitary place by the beach or in the mountains. But Jesus constantly carved out time to spend with the Father. And if He can, you can. And if He did, you should. God says, you are my people. Take a day. You are my disciples. Come to this mountain and pray. You are my followers. Let's walk along the sea and spend some time together. But you and I, people who call Christ our Savior, who call ourselves Christians, call ourselves followers of Christ, we live incredibly frantic lives. And time with Jesus is something that we just put off and put off and put off. We live as though we're constantly trying to do enough. We live in a time where there's unlimited capacity for something to watch or something to read or something to do. We live in a time where there's always something else that we can be a part of, always something else that our kids can be involved in, always something else that we can get active in. And even when we aren't working hard to work, we're working hard to be entertained. Today it's customary for us to leave the very day that we get off right after work and drive 12 hours to the beach and stay until the day right before we go back to work and drive the 12 hours, get in just in time to go to bed and go to work the next morning and we get back from vacation more tired than when we left. Why? Because we work hard even when we're not working. We live incredibly frantic lives. We live in a time where we sign our kids up to be on sports teams that travel out of town. We live in a time where people regularly give up their weekends so that their child can play against other 9 and 10 year olds. This past year when I spoke at a camp, I talked to an 11 year old who was traveling by plane to play some other 11 year olds in baseball. And he was not in the World Series. We live incredibly frantic lives. Is it any wonder that our hearts are weary? There is no time, or at least we do not give time to being with Jesus. If our hearts are going to open up so that God redeems every part of us, we're going to have to slow down and simply be with God. Just be with Him. And I know, listen, I know that you got a to-do list. And I know that your wife's got another one for you to do. I've got one, and my wife's got one for me. You know, when I was working on a bus route and, and, and serving in the church and attending four hours of service every Sunday, did you know that I still felt like I wasn't doing enough? Get this. This is, how, this is how broken my mindset was. I felt guilty that I wasn't in the choir. I can't sing. 
But that's something that other people were doing that I wasn't doing. And I felt like, oh, if they're doing it, I ought to be doing it. Remember what I said about the Pharisees? Their tool of comparison. And what we do is we constantly look and say, people are doing this and this and this, and I should be doing this and this and this. Be much more healthy if we were to read through the Gospels and look at all the things that Jesus did. And all the times, all the times that Jesus stepped away to spend with the Father. And I know that you have things in your life that they're not evil. They're good. They're noble. They're important. But if we are too busy to spend time with God, we are too busy. We're too busy. If our hearts are going to open up so that God redeems every part of us, we have to slow down and set aside time to simply be with God. We were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. It was made for our benefit. It was made for our hearts. To open our hearts to God's redeeming work, we need to slow down and be with him. And while God changes our lives in a moment and he saves us from our sin in a moment, our lives are changed through a process. And we live in a world where you can microwave whatever it is that you need and you can get it quick. And if it doesn't have a drive through we're not going to eat there. But disciples aren't microwaved. We're marinated. We're marinated in this truth. We're marinated in God's presence. We need to spend time with Him. If we're honest, our relationship with God is a lot like a lot of marriages. Think about your marriage. You commit to spend the rest of your life with someone because you love them that much that you say, I want to see your face every day. But what happens? We buy homes, we buy cars, we take extra hours, we get busy. We get to this place where this person that we love, that we've committed to spend the rest of our lives with, that we just pass them as we're headed to different obligations that we have. And we don't spend time with them. And what happens to a marriage? In that situation, it begins to disintegrate. And some of you, if you're honest, your relationship with the Lord is cold and distant because you've just been passing Him through the week. My intention this morning is not to lay some guilt trip on you that you need to add some new thing to your schedule. You need to set your alarm clock early an hour early so you can spend time with God. That's not my hope. My hope is that you'll look at your life and say, what are some things that I can let go so I can grab a hold of some minutes with God? And and I know that, that some of you, your lives are frantic because you've got a lot of kids or you have a job that is demanding. Chris Lazo, I, I mentioned him a couple weeks ago, he he talks about how... In the world that we live in, it's incredibly difficult for us to 
set, a time, set aside time to be with God. He pointed out that Susanna Wesley gives us a, a, a great example. Susanna Wesley was the wife of Charles Wesley who wrote many of the hymns that are in our hymn book. He was riding on horseback from revival to revival and preaching all of these messages. And his wife, Susanna, is home with 11 children. 11 children. And she said that there would be times that she just needed a moment with God. So she would take her apron, sit down on a chair, and put her apron over her head. And the kids knew if mom has her apron over her head, don't talk to her. And she just needed that moment of quiet with the Lord. We need to slow down so that our hearts will open up to the work that God wishes to do in us. It's not something that's zapped in a microwave or we get in a drive through And it doesn't just happen in this gathering on Sunday mornings. It happens by spending time with God. Whenever we offer a class on marriage or finances or parenting, you know what the most common reason that people have for not being able to attend. I just don't have the time. We need to slow down to spend time with the Lord. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts.